Welcome, my friends, to the podcast that never ends, where we gather our clan and talk about peace and love in our lives, the difficulties along the journey, and how we rise up. We will experience a little thing I call cluberty together, find our sweet spot, and planting our seeds to watch them grow in our magic garden. I'm Uncle Dave, and our transformation starts right here. Hey now, and how are you doing? Welcome to the next episode of Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. Today we're going to have a really interesting guest, Corby Mitleid, and we're going to hear about a whole bunch of things. About She's a psychic medium, she's an author, she's a speaker, and she's definitely going to help move some of that energy around, and we always talk about energy and keeping the flow. How you doing, Corby? It's great to be here. Thanks for asking me, David. All right, excellent. I know, you know, I've looked in the, you're an author of three books, at least three books, and you've probably co-authored uh, a bunch of other ones. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your your background a little bit on how you find peace and love? Believe it or not, I find peace and love by working. Um, I've done a whole bunch of things in my life. Actress, author, inspirational speaker, video producer, wrote for a graphic novel series for 10 years, executive recruiter, you name it, trying to find where I wanted to be. And the psychic work is the conglomeration of all of that. Uh, Started doing it part-time in 94, watched the towers burn on 2001 and said, got to do this full time. So I get to get up every morning. I don't have to get up every morning. I work six days a week, 14 hours a day. Love it make myself generally take Wednesdays off because if you do it seven days a week, your, your edges will get very crispy. Mm -hmm. I'm putting something out there that makes a difference in people's lives. What could be better? I agree. Uh, And I think finding that balance always is, is is the magical thing. And that's really what that bring a bat means. doesn't mean the violence. It means finding your non-negotiables and saying, for you, Wednesdays is my day. I'm not doing anything. Uh, mm-hmm. or, or I'm doing things that are going to heal my soul versus just things that I, I might need to do or, or things like that. So ha- so you had mentioned you had been doing it since 1994, and then you definitely mm-hmm. made the, the full transition around uh, 9-11. Mm-hmm. How, how did you even know that you had the gift? Or, or when did you acknowledge that you had the gift? Because I think we all have that gift. Oh, now you're asking for what I call the 30-second elevator speech. When I was nine, I read a book called The Witch Family by Eleanor Estes. And instead of thinking, ooh, that's scary, or ha, 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 I thought, and your point is, I knew there was magic in the world. I wanted to go find it. So fast forward to 1973, when I was a senior in high school. And yes, my darlings, that does tell you how old I am. I was working part-time at Spencer Gifts. They had this James Bond 007 tarot deck, and I bought it. I mean, we were all hippies then. You had your elephant leg bell-bottoms and your fringe jacket and your deck. Now, five years later, everybody else moved on to roller skates and disco balls. I was still reading. The cards were fascinating for me. So for 20 years, I basically read for friends and made sure that I was the clear channel to get the information. All of a sudden, in 1994, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training, which is when the universe handed me my draft notice and said, greetings, you're working for us. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Yeah, it's amazing how everybody's journey is is different. And you know, you had said you have been an actress as well as producer and, and things like that. But the, the universe does bring you into the places you 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 need to be eventually. You need to learn the lessons along the way. Yes, yes. And some people have what I call the gut course life, where it's easy, and some of us are stupid and always doing the wrong things and we had double major plus lab and that was me (laughs) took me until my mid to late 40s to really get my head together yep Uh, i i i've I've done that as well and uh i just trademarked the word cluberty uh because it's one of those things uh you know puberty is almost easy to go through at that point Mm -hmm. you know you you just have to go through it right you don't get a choice Cluberty is a right. for me is a choice, right? You can be making mistakes, and people do make mistakes until they're very old, ripe ages, and those are the choices. Are when you start seeing the things. I mean, I think you had something where you have that your way back machine. You want to explain that to me? Yeah, that's that's the way back machine is when I do um, past life retrieval stuff. But I'm going to hand you a bookend for your um, uh, your Cluberty. Uh, my husband was a museum director for 23 years and his fabulous um, sidekick, Dan, his curator, coined the word acluistic. When you wanted to say these people did not have a clue, he would simply look and go acluistic. <laughs> and he looked terribly polite and everyone else in the office would be stifling hilarity. There you go, right? <laughs> Which is true because they didn't have a clue. And when you have, That's right. When you start to have that clue, that life, like how? I mean, for me, it was how did I get here? I'm a pretty good guy. How did I mm-hmm. get here? And how screwed up did I did I do things? How I saw things again. When you talk about you know with the wayback machine, I, I was reading about it on your website, and then you were talking about lessons of love, and I go, yeah, mm-hmm. until you can really have you fine tune your love filter, which is something that I talk about. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you see. You're always going to see it through the filter that you need to. But if you can put it through the right filter and the love filter, then you start seeing things a lot differently. That's part of living the examined life. Um, You stay away from pity parties. For instance, um, with me, I'm a three-time cancer dancer. Now, notice I don't say I fought cancer because what you fight fights back. And I'm not a survivor because I don't just hang on by teeth and toenails. I'm a cancer dancer. I found out how graceful I could be under pressure, avoided getting my toes stepped on, and got off the dance floor in one piece. The examined life part of it is, well, I'm not going to escape this. How do I deal with it? What's next? Then how do I teach with it? So nothing feels like, you know, the Monty Python foot going, (laughs) you've got, you can take everything that happens to you and make it useful in some way. Yeah, I, I always talk about that. There's a lesson in everything. And if you can slow yourself down, you can actually start seeing the lessons that are in everything. And that's the biggest challenge. A lot of people we can't because of the traumas we might have had, the past lives or present life, and how we in, internalize it, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, we, we know our perspective. I always say we know our perspective, but we don't know anybody else's perspective. It, depending on how we see it, is that's how we put our filter on them, even though that might not be the intention. That's why you need to think like a Martian detective. A Martian detective? Yeah, a Martian detective. Uh, this is part of my first book, Clean Out Your Life Closet. Let's use an example. If you had water coming out of your eyes, I might say, why are you crying? And I could be wrong. 
the Martian detective comes down here, has no clue about humanity, but is just ready to rock and roll and find out all he can. The Martian would walk up to you and go, why is there water coming from your eyes? And the Martian could be right because maybe your contact lenses are bugging you or maybe you have allergies or maybe there's an emotional basis. When we are totally non-judgmental and we ask these things with the idea of happy curiosity, it opens up everything. Right. And there's a story I want to share that's an illustration of that. There was a man who had a wife and a kid. He was in a terrible car accident, made his face kind of look like spin art. Very embarrassed by it. Kind of walked around hunched and hid from everybody, but was still married. One day he was tucking his daughter into bed and he grabs, you know, and she grabs his face and smushes it next to hers. And the daughter says, this would be a great picture, but it would be better if mommy's face were in the picture. Now, old him would have thought, oh my God, even my daughter thinks I'm hideous. Knew him had learned about the Martian detective and just said, why would it be a better picture if mommy's face were in it? And his daughter rears back and looks at him like he is a Martian and says, because mommy can't hold the camera still and you take good pictures. <laughs> Boom. Because he thought to ask, he avoided having something that would have been traumatic for years and found out his daughter still saw him just as him. That's Always awesome. ask those questions. Yeah, that's awesome because it's that, it's that internal voice that we hear that we've been told who we are uh, instead mm -hmm. of who we actually are. That's the really mm -hmm. the, the, the tricks and that, that people need to, to learn about. And, and you know, I, I loved the, the, the book, uh, you know, the, the, you looked, the, the three books that you wrote about. So there's the, the closet. So during the summer, I gave a talk about how mo there are monsters in our closet, but they're in within mm -hmm. ourselves and when we're strong enough to slay our monsters, that's when we find out our self power because, mm -hmm. you know, because when I, in the story, the story of David and Goliath, right? David was just a, a person. It, it, he didn't, he wasn't this big leader at that time. And he just got the slingshot on a rock. He was, had more faith in he him. He was your local schlub. Yeah. Everybody else was scared of Goliath. And he just was like, all right, somebody has to throw this rock. I did it. And mm -hmm. he, he had faith in himself, not because of he wasn't scared of what everybody else was going to say. He did what he had mm -hmm. to do. And that's, you know, it was powerful. That's why when I saw you know, the three books all resonated with me, the, the titles. And, you know, when I talk about uh, on my with my coaching programs uh, on the path means personal attitudes towards happiness. And then you wrote the book, which is always everybody's favorite, uh, The Psychic Yellow Brick Road. You want mm -hmm. to tell us about it a little bit? Yes. Um, the subtitle is How to Find the Real Wizards and Avoid the Flying Monkeys because good psychic guidance is art and you shouldn't settle for a forgery. I wrote this book because, I mean, I've been on the road doing this work for almost two decades, 45 weekends a year, almost 50,000 miles a year on the car. My nickname was the Travel Channel. Um, and you see some horrible stuff. There are a lot of good psychics, but this happened at a show in Toronto. There was a fake gypsy across from us. And the fake gypsies are the ones with the headscarves and the long skirts and the jingling jewelry and the bad accents. You too can be gypsy. So she ran out from behind her booth and grabbed a woman who was walking by. Um, this is called hooking. 
and it's as bad as the other kind of cooking. And she said, oh, you no need to pay $30, dollars $50. I read your palm for 10 Come. She drags the woman into her booth. Those of us who were across the aisle saw the woman leaving 20 minutes later in hysterics. So a bunch of us went over and said, are you all right? What happened? And apparently the gypsy had said, oh, you have a family curse. How many in your family? Four. You have dog. $50 every family member. 25 for a dog. He's small. We fixed. And said that... If the woman didn't burn 400 specially blessed candles at the Roman Catholic Church, I bless real good, only one dollar candle, her entire family is going to die in a car accident to it. And she believed it. So this book is written not to learn to do what I do, but how to go and find a decent, intuitive consultant, psychic, medium, whatever you want to call us, and be safe. Sure. It is not a book that says, and the only one you can go to is Corby, because that ain't the truth. I mean, there are 8 billion people out there. I can't read them all. But if someone reads this book and therefore learns how to go to another good psychic, that's a case of all boats rise. I love that. That's one of my favorite sayings. Well, it is. And that's what I always say with coaching and mentoring. We all could be together. There's more than enough people who need that and they need to find the right person. So how would be... One thing that you would suggest for others to find, uh, other than pick up the book and read the book, uh, that would be really uh, one of the best things to do. But what, what's a, mm -hmm. something that you would suggest as being, what, I, if you're walking through one of those type of shows to prepare okay. yourself? Specifically, when you do a psychic fair, you have to be good puppies. First, you do your walkies. You go in and you walk around and you just feel what's going on. Then you have to get paper trained in that you're going to go up to the tables that look interesting. And all of us have things like rat cards that you will pick up that has information. Talk to our front people if we're busy. But remember, we hire our front people to say they love us. My first front person was Laura. Laura was my husband's office manager Monday through Friday. Do you think she's going to dismiss his museum director on the weekends? Probably not. And I can tell you I'm wonderful and that doesn't count. You want to find our testimonial books because these are, we all have them. These are comments from people that have had readings and you can find out, are we kind? Are we funny? Are we accurate? Do we have specialties, children, dogs, dead people? Would people come back? But the last thing is, you know, I, I point to my heart chakra and I say to people, check in here. You are putting your hard-earned money on the table. If the psychic doesn't feel like they have a brain in their head, they really give a damn about what they're doing or they're going to give you good information. Don't go there no matter how cool the wiki woo looks on the table. <laughs> and if nobody there rings your chimes, leave without a reading. There'll be somebody else, swear to God. Now, psychics are all very different. There are some that are what I call glurpy purple with angels. Hi, I'm Madam Sparkle, and we're going to find out what your angels are saying today. And some people adore that. Me? I'm from New York. And I'm going to say to you, I'm not going to tell you that you're going to meet a guy with blue eyes and limp at a bar. I'm absolutely practical. Here are your opportunities and how to grab them. Here's the stuff, tough stuff. Here's how to get through it or around it. Here's your toolbox. Go rock and roll. And when you sit down with me, I'm going to say, what's the most important thing you want to know? And if you go blank on me, I'll go Brooklyn on you and go, darling, what's biting your butt? Because that 
everybody knows. <laughs> and then the conversation starts. Warn them. You're going to laugh at my table. It doesn't mean the information isn't any good, but I'm funny. Well, and, and that's what it is. It's, so, it's that bring a bat. I mean, that's why when everybody first heard, mm-hmm. heard that bring a bat, they're like, what are you talking about? I go, look, no matter what you do, you're going to hear that I'm from Brooklyn. I mean, I, it's not something that you can hide, but the answer is you can have honesty. And if you listen to what bring a bat is and it's not about violence, then mm-hmm. guess what? You'll get through it and you'll start hearing sure. it. You know, the first time sure. I, I explained it to somebody <coughs> and I said, it's your non-negotiables. And they're like, oh, yeah. I know what my non-negotiables are. Bop, 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 bop. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Find your own resources. Find your tribe. I mean, like, how in a world right. that there is no magical universe would you and I connect in, you know, the netherworld, right? It, it, it's, you know, there's, there's, there's millions of, on, on both sides, and I'm, you know, honored mm-hmm. to have you included as part of, as a guest, you know. And, and that's why when I started reading the, the books, I mean, even your other book, you know, you've got the magic, Who Needs a Genie? And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's exactly, that's, that's as Brooklyn as you get, right? <laughs> yeah. Except I have to admit, yes, I'm upstate New York now, but I grew up, I'm a Philly girl. <laughs> Anthony is pronounced Anthony, and I know soft pretzels and the Iggles. I mean, that's just the way it is. But I've been living in New York State for more than half of my adult life. And for me, upstate New York is where my boot heels are, are happiest. I love this state. Yeah, it's a, it's a great state. But, Phil, I, I know because I've had arguments. I have a lot of good friends from Philly. From Philly. I go, Philly yeah. and Brooklyn, they're the same <laughs> suburb. They're the same city. Yes, we are. You know, yes, are. Uh, um, one of my friends, uh, Davey, you know, and I said, I said, dude, we lived around the corner from each other. And he goes, no, I lived mm-hmm. up in Philly. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. What are you talking about? I'm like, that's, that's Philly or New now, York. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, I use tarot decks, but I also use Oracle decks and Oracle decks are, you know, they can be all kinds of designs. So there's one that I really love for when I need to read for a very compassionate reading. And it's called whispers of Lord Ganesha. Now Ganesh is the Lord of obstacles in the Hindu pantheon, but a lot of Americans don't know who he is. And so I explain, look, Everybody in India has a Ganesh statue in their house. Think of it this way. You go to South Philly and your Italian-American grandmother has the peeling statue of the Virgin Mary out in the back by the barbecue and the tulips. Same energy. And they all go, oh, yeah. So then they can work with that deck comfortably because they know it is that homey, homely, um, comforting. Okay. Allegory is is just one of the best tools in in the yeah, the backpack. Yeah, no, I, so do I. I, I mean, that's why I like the allegories and the metaphors. You know, that's what brings you all together. Mm-hmm. Is because we then go, oh, you, you, we really are the same. Yeah, you know. Yes. If we look at the storytelling, is so important. Yeah. You know. So, what's one of your favorite allegories? I wasn't prepared for that, but. Uh, <laughs> um. All right. I'm a certified tarot master. I've been reading. Um, you know, 50 years. And so very often I will pull out a card and I will explain to people what it means. Now, the Eight of Cups is a card that says um, leaving things behind, finding a new road, even if it's difficult. And it shows somebody walking away from Eight Cups and he has a red cloak on and he's leaning on a staff and it's 
dark out and the road looks very tough. So what I tell people is look at the card. The beer is flat, the wine is sour, the water is dirty. There is no more nourishment in those cups. So he has to don the cloak of his passion, lean on the staff of his will, say that is a mother of a road ahead, but I got to get there because it has what I want. They will listen to that better than, oh, there are things you need to leave behind. So, yes, that's what I mean by there's allegory in cards. There's allegory in, in just about anything you can find. And people love stories. They will remember stories. That's why bards were honored. It's why oral history is so important. Incredible. And that, that probably leads into your soul plans. When you, when you talk to people about soul plans, <clears throat> how, do, how do you go about okay. doing that? Well, think uh, about pre-birth planning, life between lives. It has been covered. We plan things before we get here. What about free will? You actually have both. I'll explain it this way. Let's say you come down and you want to learn a certain thing about um, abundance or healing of beliefs or service or something. You're going to learn that. You can either have an easy life learning it, and that's, again, what I call the gut course, or you can keep making mistakes and refusing the lessons you need, and you keep bumping up against the problems. That's double major plus lab. Either way, you'll graduate. That's how you can have predestination and free will. No one is smart enough to get it all in one life, guys. We just don't have that much in the brain pan. So... We come down constantly. And for those who read the Bible and say, oh, but the Bible says we only have one life. Well, you're right, too. The soul is what comes down time after time after time after time to continue learning. Corby gets one shot. David gets one shot. When we cross over, this personality gets hung up in the closet. And everything that our soul learned from it goes into the mix. And then... The soul comes down, but it'll be a different personality. Now, we may come in with certain things, all right? Um, for instance, I know that two lives ago, I was a particular German pilot in World War I. He was an engineer. Sorry, in my life, one and one is three on alternate Tuesdays. He was could play the violin. I can play Pandora. That's about it. Um, he uh, could fly. Great pilot. I have vertigo can't fly these are all because these are not things i need in this life this time but what he and i both have is a really great ability with words and the person that everybody comes to you know he was a squadron leader Herr Leutnant, can i talk to you he'd always be there for other people um so those are components that come down personality time and again while the next time I may not be aware of any, you know, the, the personality may not be aware of psychic abilities. They may not be interested in psychic abilities. Um, they may not be a writer. They may be someone who does work brilliantly with their hands. It doesn't mean that this was wasted. It just means that's not part of the curriculum next time. That's sort of incredible to think of it that way. That, and because we are energy beings, right? So it's the, the mm -hmm. soul and, and things like that. And energy is never wasted energy is never gotten rid of it always just transforms right you know you're in you're really in your soul when you're at your best when you're kind when you're compassionate 
when you're at peace, when you're wise, not smart, wise, difference. Those, those things will go back up with you. The way I explain it best is we thought a lot of things were really important in 10th grade and they were our whole world. And here I am at 66 and I do not have memory one. <laughs> in that sense, that Corby is gone. But the good parts of her are still in me now. See that difference? Yep. So how would you suggest to people to cut away all that 10th grade people uh, or and focus on the good, the, the wisdom, as you said, not the knowledge, but the wisdom? Remember that you can't get it wrong. You can't. You're not, nobody is, look, even the best of us are only 85% accurate. The only one 100% accurate is God. He doesn't have a booth of the psychic there. We're here to learn. So, it's, I was discussing this with a friend. Even though she and I are both world famous at this point, and people are, sometimes they do the whole Wayne's world, oh, Corby, we're not worthy, and I'm looking at them, and I want to whack them upside the head. Um, there are days that I have the black dog. I'm terribly depressed. Um, I'm getting old. I've got side effects from the cancer. Uh, my back's out. Um, I don't look like I did when I married my husband 21 years ago, but he's still here. Um, do I grieve losing those things? Of course. I'm human. You're human too. And Feeling these things and moving through them is part of the human experience. So don't think that you're supposed to be so perfect and so enlightened that nothing's ever wrong. Because you're living on earth and it's dual. And in duality, things happen. And to be perfectly honest, I think my clients respect me more and trust me more. Because I don't come across as someone who says my aura don't stink and I'm so enlightened and you'll never get there. That's why I believe it. I had a real argument with a friend about gurus versus mentors because she saw gurus and she used the meaning totally differently. Mm -hmm. You know, like, wow, he's a tennis guru, whatever. I said, no, no, no. I'm talking about a mentor pushes you a little farther than you think you can go kicks you out of the nest before you think you're ready and sits in the audience and applauds you for being better at what they do than they are. Perfect example is Meryl Streep thanking her Yale drama professors when she's holding an Oscar. Gurus are the ones that say, I know it. You can follow me and I will perhaps give you enough information that you will know to someday. Um, there have been real gurus. Paramahansa Yogananda, you bet. <laughs> but some, for me, someone like Esther Hicks, who's written 42,000 books on the same thing and then wants you to go pay on a cruise to have her say the same thing to you, that's a guru. <laughs> that's a guru. You'll never get where I am, but you can come and listen and pay me money. Right. And I will never be anybody's guru. I'll mentor you, you betcha but don't make me a guru because I will walk out the door. Yeah, no, that's exactly, that's why I, when I, when people say you got to do coaching and I'm like, I, I, I like mentoring. 
And and for me, I, mm-hmm. I go, you know, when you with with the sports mentality, I go, the coach sends in the plays, and you better do what I say. <coughs> I go, that's not who I am, because mm-hmm. I've never lived my life by doing exactly what people have told me to do. I go, right. I've made my own uh, adjustments, and that's the ability. That's what makes us stronger is learning those adjustments. You know, it's mm-hmm. when we fall down, everybody can fall down. It's how you get back up and what you do. Now, when you get up and, and rise from yourself for yourself, what's what's your favorite? Because you had said that you, you had some rough days, right? You sometimes have the black dog. Hugs from my husband are really good. I highly recommend Maine Coon cats. Okay. For people who don't know Maine Coons, they are little dogs in cat suits. They're not so little. Um, my boy Prawn is 26 pounds and the size of a beagle. Oh, wow. um, and um, when you have that much of an armful of fur and purr, that'll relax you a lot. Yeah. Um, and for me, uh, I use a lot of brain sync. Those are the binaural beats, ambient music stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Elton John got me through the pandemic, especially the years from 1970 to 1976. Those are his classic albums. Yep. I'm feeling really down. Just give me Honky Chateau and Mad Men Across the Water and I'm gone. <laughs> um, so, no, I, I mean, do I meditate? Yes, some. Do I write? Yes. Um, and I remember to breathe. That's, I don't breathe a lot. I, I have to remember to take deep breaths mm-hmm. because my energy is, is so kinetic that it's like, and so it's like, breathe, do your breathing, do your four, seven, eight breathing. Like Dr. Weil says. Yep. Yeah. No, so. that's the biggest challenge is the breathing. I mean, when you were talking before, uh, I was going to say it's it really is the metamorphosis from butterfly from caterpillar to butterfly. You know when mm-hmm. when, when we all experience some days it's you're you're definitely a caterpillar and you're changing and morphing and it does not feel good. It's an ugly process, but when you wake up and become that butterfly, how beautiful is that? And the beautiful beautiful thing about being a butterfly, the butterfly doesn't know how beautiful it is. It doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Everybody else can it's say. Just- yeah. Rock and roll, you know. Look, milkweed, yay! <laughs> now, one of the things I, I like to always try to ask people is, uh, I always say that there's always an R in your heart, and there really is, right? When you spell the word R, and when we talk about earth and heart, the about grounding and things like that. So, what are some things that you do to ground yourself? I guess other than having uh, hearing your purring cat and or hugging your husbands husband. and main coons. <laughs> Oh, I cook. Cooking is therapy for me. My mother couldn't boil water when she was married. She swore to God her daughter would not be in the same position. So um, for me, cooking is wonderful. Um, I have certain friends that I will go see. I have lots of acquaintances, lots of fans, lots of colleagues. Very, very few people I give the title friend. I'll go sit out on the porch. I mean, I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. But I live in an 864-square-foot house in the middle of a hayfield in upstate New York. <laughs> you cannot see any neighbors around us. You see high hills, low mountains, whatever you want to call it, and a forest. 
when you do as much people work as I do and you concentrate so thoroughly on client after client after client after client, going outside and seeing no people at all but trees and pikes is really good. Yeah, that's that grounding and being in nature is definitely one of those things mm -hmm. uh, to, to do. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, so, you know, you've given us a lot of great stuff, a lot of great ideas and thoughts. And mm -hmm. what's the one go-to message that you like to share with people? So when you get on stage, I know there's different stages that you've been on. What's the one main message you like to share? I give them my sentence of passion, which is cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. Your sentence of passion is not who you are or what you do or even how you do it. It's your vapor trail. So when you go skidding into heaven on bald tires and fumes in the tank and God hands you a beer and says, so you get to say, I did this. Isn't it cool? <clears throat> so for me, cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly means if I can take you from point A to point B and you thought you couldn't make it, whack you on the shoulder, say, here are your wings. You don't need a flight plan. Now get, <laughs> I am living my bliss. That's awesome. The other one, the other one I give is fear versus fame. Everybody knows the old fear equals false evidence appearing real. Mm -hmm. Fame is full acceptance means everything. Do you want to be fearful or famous? Just ask yourself that. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I've used the fear a bunch of times during the TEDx talk and things like that. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, like for me, because I do, I do a lot of t uh, speaking about phoenixes. So I go, you know, instead of false evidence appearing, appearing real, I go, you know, it's a, about rising, you know, so, you know, yes. So, but I love that fame because that's what most people want, right? They, you know, it's that mm -hmm. I want others to, to admire me. To know who I am. Yep. Yes. That's awesome. All right. I've taken a lot of your time and we usually keep our, our sessions. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Uh, any sort of gem, more gems? I mean, you've given me a lot of gems. Uh, um, the one that I'm going to give you that, um, a lot of women need is no is a fabulous idea. <laughs> How many times do you say yes when you really don't want to? And so what I do is I explain to people no is a fabulous idea. And I tell them the tale of Sid. Sid was Moses, second cousin, and he was leading a bunch of Israelites over on the other side of the desert. It was hard, it was hot, everyone was hungry and thirsty and tired and cranky, but Sid kept them going with cheery words and the constant promise that he would see them safely to the promised land, or at least Miami. Suddenly, they happened on an oasis. There was one tree, one well, and one bucket to reach down to the water, and Sid was the only one who knew how to winch up the bucket to bring the water to the lip of the well. Sid turned to his flock and said, oh, my people, I am the great and noble Sid, and I have promised that I would take care of you, so I will see that you have water so that you will not die of thirst. Sid went to work, winching up bucket after bucket of water, but never drinking himself, because after all, I promised you that I would take care of you. I'll drink when everyone else is drunk, except that Sid dropped dead of dehydration halfway through. Nobody else knew how to winch up the bucket, and so they all died of dehydration with a well right there. Now, if Sid had been smart, he would have said, oh, my people, I am the great and noble Sid, and I will see that you have water so that you will not die of thirst. But in order to take care of you all, I need the first drink. And he would have drunk his fill, 
and thereby found the strength to get everyone a drink afterwards, and they all would have celebrated the, at the Four Seasons Tel Aviv, or at least the Miami Hilton. That's why, centuries later, the descendants of that nobleman, this misguided man, have a saying, which they recite to each other when someone goes down that martyr's path. Don't be a idiot. Now, uh... <laughs> women who get told, you really have to learn to say no, are not going to remember that. They'll remember Sid, and they'll remember Noah's a fabulous idea. That's awesome. That's the mark of good teaching, which I know you do as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much. This was such a great, and well, well, I would definitely have to keep in touch because I'd love to hear more. And actually, knowing that you're upstate, I, I, it's you know, which for us, in, we'll talk. We'll have coffee. You know, it's what yeah, we do. Definitely, and you know, just remember, upstate is also Westchester. Um, so That's you true. know, you know, if you if you grew up in New York City, anything out of New York City is upstate. Uh, Very true. You know, I, I always tease my friends from Brooklyn. Uh, they go, oh, you live on Long Island. They go, well, so do you, just a different part of Long Island. Um, but, yeah, we're all New Yorkers, and I know I, I go up to upstate, and I'll be going up a, a lot more this year. Just my uh, daughter got accepted to uh, Alfred State, so uh, I'll, be doing, I'll be doing a lot of traveling upstate New York and uh, yeah. doing the dance around Long, uh, upstate New York. Okay. Thank you so much. And for everybody else, make sure you always find peace and love in your life. And when you need to bring a bat, remember that story of Sid. And no is an acceptable way to go. But when you do find that bat, make sure it's a sweet spot and swing away and wish you the best of days. I am really glad that you're enjoying the show. And I hope you follow us on all the podcast hosting sites as well as Facebook, Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. Or you can follow me, Uncle Dave, David Chemetsky, at Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, and www.davidchemetsky.com. I also would enjoy for you to contact me if you want to just have some feedback. You need somebody to talk to at peacelovebringabat at gmail.com. Well, my friends, today's journey has come to a close. I hope the seeds of peace and love continue to grow for each one of you. Remember the peace and love surround you that will assist you to rise again. And don't forget to bring a bat for what you believe in. Namaste. Namaste.